0: The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. So, uh, John made a comment last week that, uh, that we were reaching way down into the bottom of the bench uh, in order to bring him that it must be bad if he was speaking uh, well, I have something to tell you this morning. Uh, you're in for a real treat today, all right? So uh, I would beg to differ on his comment and say I'm also in the runnings for that category. But, um, so I've been, uh, I've been, whether you realize it or not, over the last three years I've been preaching a sermon series on John. Um, and so uh, when I first uh, started uh, preaching this sermon series, I made fun of Stacey, you know, because it's fun to make fun of Stacey. Uh, I made fun of Stacey pretty intensely, you know, saying I was able to cover nearly a chapter in one message, whereas he's been spending years trying to do such a thing. But then I realized that uh, I'm three years in, and I'm only going to be about a chapter and a half. So three years, chapter and a half, all right, so it's not, it's not quite as bad. So I can't make fun anymore. Um, Something that struck me kind of on my way in this morning in passage of Scripture that um, just kind of hit me um, was uh, one of the the, ki- the verses that the kids are learning right now um, or have learned in the past, and I think we uh, it's familiar to us, but um, it's talking about the Word of God, that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the division of soul and spirit, into the joints and marrow. Um, that verse hit me this morning because... Sometimes, um, like the, the most difficult thing for me, at least for, for um, speaking or for preaching God's word, is not so much uh, the fear of standing up in front of people, uh, but rather um, the fear of uh, presenting God's word and having it fall on ears that, that don't want to listen. Um, and I'm not just talking about you, um, I'm talking about me and my heart and uh, humans, and where we are, and how that we think that we have our act together, and how that we um, don't like to hear when we're wrong, we don't like to be challenged when we believe a certain thing a certain way, and heaven forbid we're even motivated by what we hear to change, to do something different than we've always done, okay, but that is my prayer, the prayer of my heart for you and for me as well as we approach this text, not just today, but every day, as we approach the text of scripture, that our hearts are open to change. Um, Not change because I have something very special to say out of myself, but out of the word of God. Um, It has the power to change your life, and yet often we stiff arm it. You know, we think uh, in our community group recently, we've been talking about uh, authority and where we place the authority um, is it in our own intellectual stimulation? Is it in our own intellectual understanding? Or do we put our authority where it belongs, on God and in His Word, how He teaches us, and then we change because of it? Um, so, though, I mean, we're all sinners here this morning, okay? C- congratulations, you're a sinner, you made it to church, all right? So, uh, most, likely, you know, most likely, most of you sinned on the way here, um, in the car, yelled at a child, Um, maybe got angry, Um, I may have put my foot down and said, we must get in the car right now in a not very loving tone, okay? Um, However, uh, you're sinners, congratulations, you're here, and God's Word has something for you today. And I hope and pray that when you leave here today, that your heart is stirred, it's motivated, Uh, for some of you convicted of your need for a Savior, for some of you convicted for your need to live out what, means, what the gospel is and what it, what it means to take from there and to live it out. And that's my heart for all of you. I don't have a lot of time to come up and stand up and say it to you, but as I, as I look at this group, my heart burns with desire that you would live a life consistent, obedient to the scriptures, that you would bow your knee and humble yourself before God, And that he would lift you up. And so today, as we approach these scriptures, let's um, have our hearts soft toward him. Let's take the thoughts of this week and push them out of our minds. There are a lot of tense things going on in our, our life today, okay? In, in your week, this last week, you had some major challenges. You've been stressed, you've been pulled, or you've been so vacationed and relaxed that your mind is out to lunch, okay? Both of those can be bad as we're approaching the text. So let's try to uh, press those, push those things aside as we focus in on John uh, chapter 15. So you can go ahead and turn over there, John 15, So this passage relays the final teachings of Jesus to his disciples prior to his betrayal and arrest. Okay? It is taking place following Judas' departure from the Twelve, but prior to the cross, crossing of the Kidron uh, into the garden where he would be betrayed and arrested. So the end of chapter 14 indicated that the group was, the group was on the move. If you remember that, that strange little phrase at the back end of 14 where it says, uh, Rise, let us go from here. Okay, kind of one of the weirdest phrases in you know in the New Testament, I think, is just kind of like, all right, let's go. Um, and so as they are walking along the way, okay, they're passing through these you know pathways. You know, it's an agrarian society; there's farming all over. Most likely, they are seeing um, you know vineyards and, and vines, and they're approaching the garden, and they're they're getting through these areas. And so plenty of things for Jesus to choose from, but yet he's going right after. Um, these, this vine analogy, which I appreciate Jared reading Psalm 80, um, and we'll touch on um, the counterpart to that, Isaiah 5, um, as we go along here. But that's kind of the stage here. They, the, uh, the final, um, the Last Supper is over. They're standing up, they're moving out, and Jesus has a few last things that he wants to make crystal clear for his disciples before he's crucified. And so that's where we find ourselves in, a real pivotal spot uh, in his ministry as he is kind of turning the corner, turning the corner to the cross. Um, all of it has led up to this and these last few things that he is going to um, teach them. So let's read John 15. We're going to read uh, straight through 15, 1 through 17. Here we go. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I have commanded you. Dear Heavenly Father, as we approach your word today, I pray that um, you would clear our minds of distractions. I pray that you would cause our hearts to be open and soft toward your working. I pray that you would, um, that you would uh, give grace uh, as we approach this, you give understanding that we might know um, what it is that you have for us today. I pray that you would uh, cause us to leave here today changed, not the same as when we came in, but different, because we've encountered your word, and your word is living and active and powerful to change our lives. I pray that you would help us, that we might um, know you because of this, that we may revel in how amazing your love is for us and your gospel, and that that would propel us forward to live lives of love for you, that we would experience the true joy that comes um, as a result of this love. So we thank you, and we praise you this morning. In your name, amen. All right, so the immediate context of 12 through 17, that's actually where we're going to park this morning is uh, verses 12 through 17. Um, However, kind of in order to paint the picture of 12 through 17, we really need need to know why it's sitting here and what kind of came before. So we read that, um, but the immediate context of this section, of course, is 1 through 11. Okay, so although the previous teaching around the table was still in view, so many of the things that we saw in 14 and things are are still in view, there's definitely a transition to kind of a new uh, discussion here as we get into chapter 15. So, to get up to speed let 's review the context of the first part of the chapter i 'm just going to go through them uh, fairly quickly first just in verse one, we see that Jesus is the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser so in um, you know agrarian society, remember it 's perfectly you know we use analogies all the time, so did they. Uh, this one though is definitely heavily um, weighted with uh, you know, biblical, you know, Old Testament theology, okay? So Israel was the vine that God planted, and we'll see um, more uh, of that as we go along. But the Father is the vine dresser. Verse 2, every branch is dealt with, okay? So we have um, no, if a branch that doesn't bear any fruit, he takes it away. He removes it. It's gone. He doesn't, prune it in order for it to grow more fruit like we see that second category you have this branch that does bear fruit what does he do he prunes it he makes it better he causes it to grow more fruit or um, we have this no fruit the fruitless branch is cut off removed and then we see later on thrown into the fire okay Uh, then uh, this uh, then should Kind of cause at least this early reader is going to, should be thinking about either Psalm 80 like we read earlier or Isaiah 5, uh, 1 through 7. Let's let's flip over there while we're kind of gaining our context here. Um, turn over to Isaiah 5, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. We'll read that, those verses together. I'll start. You guys can catch up as you find it there. But it says, "Let me sing for my beloved my song." my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done done in it? of the Lord of Hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are His pleasant planting. Okay, so in context, uh, the disciples uh, would have been familiar with the fact that um, that Israel has been referred to as the vineyard of the Lord. Okay, and so what we have here, you can see, even in His ministry, is Israel, at least as a nation. Of course, we're seeing the disciples, the remnant, they're they're believing. Okay, but yet Israel as a nation has, has rejected their Messiah. Okay, they've, they've pushed him away as, nationally, has, have pushed him away, did not accept Jesus as their Messiah. And so consequently, then I think you see these, this wording as this kind of taking away. Um, I'm not talking about... Uh, Future National Israel at this point, eschatologically, like end times uh, that's not my point this morning, but my point is the fact that they are he's he's bringing you into this understanding of what's going on here and bringing them along and so what we end up seeing here is that God plants a vineyard, yet despite the materials, they have good soil, they have a good vine, they have good protection, He builds this wall in between it um, and yet he also what I like about Isaiah, as, as, as he's saying, he also builds a wine vat. He builds it with the hopes of producing fruit, of taking the fruit and making something out of it, making wine. He takes it, you know, he's, he's planning on success, okay? And so he does all of that, and yet what happens? They produce wild grapes, so what does God do? He lets it go to waste and be devoured. He lets thorns grow and animals eat it. He stops tending it and sending rain. And why? And I think we see in, in 12 and 13, if you see right, right here in Isaiah 5, 12, 12 and 13, he says, "...they have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute, and their wine and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord." Or see the work of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. So we have people doing their thing, rejoicing in uh, really the works of their hands, and not regarding the deeds of the Lord or seeing the works of his hands. And um, this is not mainly where I'm going this morning, but aren't our hearts also there uh, in our sin? in in our distractions of life. We find our satisfaction. We try to look for rejoicing and fulfillment in everything else besides the one thing that can actually uh, bring us fulfillment and satisfaction. So Israel is in this this story, in this Isaiah's account here, is no different than we are in some regards. We have um, done these things. We do these things in regular life. And yet, um, so exciting then is the promise of the one to come as Psalm 80 resounds, Psalm 80 kind of takes this story and then pushes it and says, "My man will come, and he will do this work, and he will fulfill this. Man is incapable of fulfilling this. Israel is incapable of fulfilling this. But Jesus is not incapable. Jesus is the one who fulfills this. And so, this um, you know, this methodology, this um, idea uh, is. is is in their minds as he's speaking this, it's in his mind as he's speaking it, most likely as he is the fulfillment of all, um, you know, all um, Scripture in himself, Jesus himself. So, in all of their enjoyment of life, they did not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the works of his hands. They go into exile for lack of knowledge. So now we kind of bounce back over to, um, let's bounce back over to John 15 into verse 4 we see that the, the branch, there's a recognition here that the branch is incapable of bearing fruit by itself. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, so kind of reminiscent really of the vineyard um, that we have in Isaiah. We have now he is telling those who are following him even now that a branch is incapable of producing fruit, unless it abides in the vine. In in verse five, then we have abiding in Christ, and He in us results in bearing much fruit. Okay, so on consequently, if one abides in Him, and when I say abides in Him, remains in Him, faithful to Him, we have other. Um, we'll see the obedience to Christ. Uh, as well as we as we get into this. Um, verse 8, we have that there are two possible results listed in this passage. Um, when one bears fruit. Number one, the Father is glorified. And number two, the legitimacy of true discipleship is established. Those are the two things that come um, kind of as a result of bearing fruit. So uh, as Verse 10 comes along, then we have abiding in Jesus' love as the true, um, as what is true of those who keep his commands. Let's look over in that passage there, and I'm sorry for cap- recapping this. Obviously, I'm sure no one remembers from a year ago, so we've got we to gotta work through this, right? Um, so verse, verse 10, let's read this together. Uh, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, we are abiding in Jesus' love. That's true of those who keep his command. I want us to be careful um, in how we understand it. First, he says uh, that this is really illustrated by um, his relationship to the Father. So, the Father gives commands. Jesus keeps the commands, which shows and proves that Jesus abides in his love. Okay? And let that keep in our minds as we kind of continue on along here. Jesus is always going to bring this back, both the abiding as we abide in him. He's always going to bring it back to his relationship with the Father. And even in his high priestly prayer in, in John 17, he's going to bring it back the same thing, as I have done this, so they are going to do, do this. Okay, You see that all through this passage as he takes both his example and then he applies it to how they are going to respond, all right. And in this case, uh, it's in the fact of abiding in His love, just as um, I have kept your commandments. And what that does, um, what that does, is it keeps our minds from going to kind of like a checklist mentality. So I don't know about you, but I kind of like the checklist. You know, I got a checklist, I knock it out, you know, punch it out, do those things, and I'm good. I got my stuff done. All right. Well, the problem is that's not the way it works in the Christian life. We don't live by a checklist in the Christian life. We don't have a list of sins that we say, "I didn't do these today, so I'm good." You know, we don't. We don't say, "I, I read my Bible today. I prayed today. I did. I did this. I did that today, and so I'm good. God loves me. I'm abiding in His love. I I, I check the box. All right. That's not. That's not how it works. Okay. So we like checklists. I have done X, Y, Z. Therefore, God owes me A, B, C. But this should not be understood in this way. Rather, those who abide in the love of the Father are keepers of His commands. Okay, so our minds should be ready. We need to turn it on our, turn it on, the, on its head, okay? So rather than I'm obeying so that I might abide in His love, rather the one who is abiding in His love obeys. Okay, I love because I obey. And rather than I obey so so that I can have the relationship with God. Does that make sense? Now, granted, those, of course, are self-fulfilling in some regard, right? So if we, we do obey, we love him. If you're not obeying, you're not loving him, okay? So they do go back and forth to some degree. But yet, the reason that I would say that is as we think through Jesus' example of the Father, Jesus and the Father have always loved one another. Okay? There's no time in which they did not love one another. And yet he is saying, because he keeps his commands, you know, he, he abides in the Father's love. There's no point in which, you know, the example is, there's no point in which he does not abide in the love of the Father. Um, of course, us introduce sin, right? And that's where you, we kind of come back to the other verse. You, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, there's no, there's no uh, uh, success in in your Christian life. Without me, it's impossible for you to please God. It is impossible for you to to fulfill your end of the bargain. It is impossible to do so, and that's why he has been that fulfillment for us. So Jesus did not receive love, the love from the Father based on his obedience, but rather obeyed based on his love for the Father. The idea of linking obedience to love is found throughout the final discourses of Jesus to his disciples. We see it in 1415, if you love me, you will keep my commands. We see it in 1423 through 24, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So loving obedience to Jesus' commands produces fullness of joy. Let's look at verse 11. Um, as we see this concept. 11 says, The things that I have spoken to you, um, these things have I spoken to you, that your joy, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So what are these things that he's talking about? All that previous context, okay? So the whole abiding in his love, uh, obeying his commands. And um, one commentator really honed in on this. I thought he did well in just saying that um, rather than leaving the reader in this, kind of more stagnant, uh, like, I'm going to obey and I'm going to love, and, and it's, it just kind of stays there. There is, there is this result. And the result here we see in, is, is in both uh, receiving the joy of the Lord here, but then also that his joy may be in us and that our joy then may be full. So there's this, um, this relationship of love and obedience then out of that is flowing joy, satisfaction. And as we live our lives and we fill our lives with anything beside that, that's when we have this kind of false happiness thing that doesn't last. It doesn't endure. It, it may be, we may be thrilled at getting something. We may be thrilled at a relationship that we have um, in our our marriage relationships, in our friendships, in our work success. We may receive temporary joy in all of this, but yet long-term, full joy is uh, not possible without uh, Jesus himself infusing his abiding love within us, causing us to obey, and, and us enjoying that relationship that only he can provide. So that's kind of the context as we roll into uh, chapter 12. Now, so that's, that's where we ended up last time, and that's kind of where we're headed here. But although uh, somewhat it's a conclusion of the previous verses, verse 11 also is in the concept of loving obedience produces joy, also acts as kind of a hinge to the verses to follow. Okay, So knowing that obedience to Jesus' commands, commands is required, it begs the question of which command, some of them, all of them, um, and I think in some regards you could say yes to both, okay? So in some regards, yes, it is talking about all of His commands, and we, we if you're thinking of John 14, John 14 talks about the coming of the Spirit and how that He will lead them into all truth. It talks about Him bringing to remembrance the things that He has taught, so those commands, but in order for us not to miss it, because I don't know about you, but I can miss it. I can really miss it. I can miss the point, and uh, and that's why there's this John. I, I really believe that's why John's repetition is because we're gonna we're gonna miss it. It's obvious that we miss it. Sometimes we live life completely stuck in this like spiral downward of like um, of thoughts about you know pressures of life. We think about stress, we think about trouble, we think about pain and failure, and we get stuck in this spiral of all of that, and yet we just need to hear it yet again, that this is bigger. Uh, Judah and I, my son Judah and I had this conversation this morning. He was getting mad at his brothers and sisters, per usual, all right? And um, so he, he's getting mad at them. It, it was over some small little... Um, they're like magnetic pieces that you can put them together and build stuff with. And he was really upset because he didn't have them, and he wanted them. They had it. He was playing with them. He walked away. They took them, you know. They, and um, so anyway, um, he came in to me to, you know, tell me about how you know, what big atrocity it was that he did not have these things anymore. And I tried to say, I say, son, you need to see the bigger picture here. I said, "In in about three minutes, I said they're going to forget that they're even there, and they're going to go play with something else. I said, just wait just a few minutes, <laughs> and, and, and you'll get all of the stuff, you know, that you wanted. And so, I, of course, didn't, I didn't take a good spiritual, be content with what you have. I didn't go that way. I, just, I was just trying to, you know, say, hey, t- take, a, take a step back. This is what's, you know, if you just watch, this is what's going to happen. But... My analogy actually didn't fall through. my analogy right now is not going to work, because Micah came in and he had a whole handful of them, and he gave them to him out of love, you know, and he, he gave them to him, and sure enough, they did come to him, but a little differently than I expected. Um, so anyway, uh, there is a bigger thing at work, and even in this, this text, um, you know, we have to step back and see what is God doing in this, um, in, our, in our trouble, in our difficulty of life. We need to step back and look and say, what is, God, what is God doing in this? And in this situation, God has a desire for you to live a life that is full of joy, continual joy, um, that is a result of things. All right, We talked about some as they kind of led up to this. Okay? You're abiding in Christ. Provi- you know, abiding in Christ does produce fullness of joy. All right, now on the back end, we're going to talk about um, that abiding in Christ and obeying him uh, is now very specific as we come into verse 12, when he says, in case you were wondering what my commandment was, this is my commandment. So, I want us, before we get into here, before we really look at what this commandment is, I want us to just think about John for a moment. It's not just John. Obviously, Jesus is speaking here. This is the way he taught. He teaches differently than we kind of normally, like our Western mind. And even like, I want to outline everything. You know, I want to like, all right, like when you read through the uh, epistles, you can take it and you can just you can make it all like stack up on top of each other and it's very linear, very logical. All right, when John writes, he writes more like a country song, okay? So you have you know, it's it's like you start when you're a little boy and then, you know, and then you you become, you know, a, an adolescent and then you become a teenager and you fall in love and then somehow that works out to you being old and then you're reflecting on life back as a child and then it just goes like this. All right, very predictable. All right, and so John actually writes kind of similarly to that. It's kind of a ballad in some regards. So what we're going to see in this passage, you're going to see him not necessarily take this and then support by this and then support by this and support by this, kind of like what we're used to um, as we teach or speak or whatever. Um, actually, you probably see me do this, so you, you'll be used to it. You know? but, um, but most good speakers, you know, they take you across a series of connected... Um, Thoughts and his are very much connected, but in some regards, one will push. Uh, where he 's going, but then he 'll illustrate it with another one, but the illustration then will push the next thought and so you 'll see how this happens uh, funny enough uh, if you see you guys will laugh at me for my notes so i 'll actually show them to you but uh, when i've preached in John, I used to try to write it all out, and it was it was scrambled my brain, so I just draw pictures so now now i just I just have a series of arrows and diagrams that, that, uh, that I go off of because I just can 't keep track of everything that 's probably me but nonetheless. Um, so as we see John, he's going to spiral. He's going to start with one thing. He's going to jump to several other things that kind of support it. And then he's going to come back around and teach us the same thing again. All right. So that's, uh, that's where we're headed with all of that. So um, as we uh, look at this first section, we said that um, there is a begging of the question when it says that, um, of what command is he talking about that kind of gets us to that fullness of joy? And uh, in verse 12, he, he answers that question. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So instituted by Jesus, the pattern for the Christian life is always Jesus himself. So you, hear, you might hear it at Cornerstone, that's because we hear it in the New Testament, that's because Jesus did it himself. When we talk about... Teaching the gospel to one another. Okay, when when I would say, if if you uh, are sinning, and I might say, um, you know, maybe Jared he refuses to forgive Eric. All right, so Jared refuses to forgive Eric. What do I do? I'm going to go to them and I'm going to talk to them, and I'm going to say that that you you are required to forgive because you have been forgiven. So as you have been forgiven, you extend that forgiveness. So we take the gospel, we overlay it into your life problem, and then we apply it. And say, just as Jesus forgave you of all of this, how can you not forgive him for what he's done? And so we take, we take what we know to be true about the gospel and we impl- apply it into our situation. And Jesus does uh, nothing less in this passage because he says... Uh, his commandment is that we love one another as I have loved you. And what is that? As he's thinking, what I mean, what are we talking about here? He is he is hours away from his arrest, maybe even minutes away from his arrest. I don't know how how quickly he taught this, but he's very close to his arrest. It is very close, and he's you know he's he has the cross on his mind as he's thinking about. Um, As he's thinking about this, love you, you need to love one another as I have loved you. So we see that his submission to the Father's will becomes our example of submission to his will. We see that uh, in verse 10, that his obedience to the Father's commands show that he abides in the Father's love. This, then, is our example on how obedience shows that we are abiding in his love. So this is a consistent pattern, not only in this passage, but throughout the New Testament, is we do things because he has done things. And so not only are we empowered by what he has done, uh, not only does he give us the power to accomplish these things, but also we are following his example. So in verse 13, kind of goes on to define the love as I love. What does it look like? So verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So he's hours away from his arrest. He's giving his life for his friends. The giving of his life for his friends is only only moments away. It's only moments away. He's using both a human example of the greatest expression of love and he's looking forward to his death where he dies for those who not only are his friends right now, but also those who completely reject him. Those who completely, who are, who are putting him to death yet later will believe. Okay, He is, he is dying for them, his friends. Um, and even, he's going to, um, that he might become uh, the friends with these people through faith and repentance. All right, so he's dying not only for those, he, he, his disciples now, but also those who will reject him for most of their life um, until he makes them his own, until he makes them his friend. Um, so, so, what's the type of love required for believers? It's a sacrificial love. We live in a society where liking and loving is only a thumb press away. All right, some some of our social media has kind of like just washed out any like like true meaning in life. <laughs> All right, some of it has we 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 observe people. Um, I think more than we love people, we watch people um, more than we have uh, close react interactions with them. Um, I think that we we like to know about what people are doing, uh, but yet often even. Even when we see them delving into sin, we just we just kind of refrain um, from from talking to them about it or interacting with them on it because um, because we like to live on the surface sometimes all right not all of us do, but I think enough of I think it, it's enough to hopefully resonate with you is that um, surface relationships and um, failure to to love one another sacrificially is not even. Um, it's not available to the Christian. We have been called to greater things. We have been called to love one another in a very special way um, that um, causes us and drives us to action. It causes us to not sit back and just let life go by and let people come and go without impacting them with the love of Christ. So the passage John uh, Sweeney read this morning I think speaks to this very well um, let's let's go over you already went one time this morning let's go over again uh, to first John chapter 3 if I can find it here first John chapter 3 let's go down. Uh, to verse 16, where it says, "...by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love? God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and truth." And may that resonate with our hearts this morning as John, later on in his life, as he's even looking back at life, he's still, saying, he's still singing the same tune. And the fact is that we can say all we want, that we love one another, um, but yet if our love is not tied to action and it's not tied to ministering to one another, then it's, then it's useless. It's just talk. It's just word and talk. It is not deed and truth. And why does even John even say it in the negative here? He says, "But if anyone has the world's good goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, it's in the it's in the negative because we fail. It's in the negative because we need to hear this. It's not in the positive because this is what we're always doing. Every time, you know, we love people. We put aside our our um, our petty differences. We put aside our stuff, and we always love and we always obey." these things, and we help each other, and we, we, um, we meet each other's needs, and we, we work towards each other's spiritual growth and edification and building up. Why is he put it in the negatives? Because we fail at it. Uh, we struggle at this, and we can go days, weeks, months, years without truly um, serving one another. And I'm preaching it to you not, um, not because I have anyone in mind i 'm preaching to you because I know my own heart, and I know that um, that i would I would rather be doing what is seems like best for me. We love ourselves, we love convenience, we love what is best for our time, our houses, our finances, our families, but we are being called to much more we're being called to love one another sacrificially as Jesus has loved us, anything short of this is a personal Christianity that is flawed at its very core. It's flawed because that is not what the Scriptures is, is telling us. Anything short of a lifestyle of service and sacrifice for not only one another, but bearing fruit into the world, reaching out into the world, and sharing the love of Christ with them, and asking them to come along and see this Christ and worship him. That's what they were created for, and that's where we're going and bringing people with us. Anything short of that is a gospel and a Christianity that, has, that is not what Jesus ever intended. It is not to come here on Sunday morning um, and then leave and just go about daily life as if Jesus doesn't exist throughout the week. It is living a life that That matters. It is loving people and and loving the body. And so, as that kind of cliffhanger left before of there was one piece of two, there's abiding in his love and obeying him out of love, which brings the Christian true joy, we find ourselves as ones who are incapable of doing this, but yet are required to do this. And that's where the next few verses uh, follow on. Uh, And if we look down here, we see verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And this is is what characterizes friends. Friends of Jesus do what he commands them. It's not that he's holding it over their head. If you do what I command you, then you're my friend. But like we talked before, it's that two-sided Uh, piece where the friends they do what he commands them to do so verse 15 no longer do i call you servants for the servant does not know what the master is doing but i have called you friends for all that i have heard from the father i have made known to you the difference here he's saying between a servant and a friend both are underneath the master and yet the master has chosen to take some and to share with him share with them his plans and then in response to that, these friends, as, as he keeps jumping, you know, down in, in this spiral then, of his friends he says in verse sixteen, You did not chose me, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. As we think of this responsibility that we have been given. we think of we think that there's we think of several things one um as a friend we've been given privy uh we are privy to his plans number two we have been chosen and notice we didn't do the choosing but he chose us and i'm saying us i'm kind of skipping one step hopefully you realize he's talking to his disciples but as we learn in the high priestly prayer in 17 he's also talking to those who will come and will believe in his name and so that's the us all right they have been chosen they did not do the choosing they have been appointed for what why are you a believer today why have you been chosen of god called out of darkness into light why have you been chosen for that you've been chosen to bear abiding fruit You have not been chosen to just be a bystander. You have not been chosen to just kind of go along with the Christian crowd, fit in with Christian society. That is not why you've been chosen. You've been chosen to bear fruit. If you have been chosen of God for salvation, you have been appointed by God to bear fruit that is abiding. This goes against the thoughts of spiritual retirement. When I was 14, I remember this kind, sweet little uh, lady, little older lady in my church. And she said to me, she said, I've done my part. Now it's time for you young guys to do it. And uh, that really struck me um, in an interesting way. I, it, it really impacted me and, and was really sad in a lot of regards because if any time in your life to go hard after the things of the Lord and to minister to people is the older you get. As the children leave, you have God's people to minister to. And so it goes against that idea of spiritual retirement, number one. It goes against compartmentalizing your life. And that's, I do this here, I come to church, I, I'm, I'm, I bear fruit here, I talk to people, I encourage people, and then I go to work. And then, uh, and then I, I do my work thing, and I live like my work people, and I do um, life like those around me there. That's my culture there. Now I'm at work. I'm doing this. Now I'm at church. I'm doing this. Now I'm at home in my family and I'm living this way. It goes against all of that because abiding fruit is all of life. All of life is, is going that, that way, going towards God, serving one another, loving one another in all areas of life. It goes against contentment because he doesn't just want us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. He wants us to go on for him. He wants us to continue in this fruit bearing when i say fruit bearing hopefully you're following with my analogy in this context fruit bearing is loving the body fruit bearing is doing those things that john read in first john three meeting people's needs both spiritually and then also pointing them to christ and edification building them up and physically you see a need you have the ability to meet it and you meet it so then finally the result Abiding fruit results, and we see this in the last, last couple of verses here. Abiding fruit results in the last part of verse 16. So whatever you ask, in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Abiding fruit results in answered prayer. And I think sometimes, <clears throat> I think we fail to pray because we either think that we're wasting God's time, or we think that God won't answer our prayer or we don't, or or we're not dependent on him, um, but yet this what a great claim, uh, what a great promise of God that He will answer our prayers. And We think about James four a lot of times when our prayers aren't answered because we're praying for the wrong stuff. <laughs> you know, we're praying we're praying for stuff that. Uh, the way James says it, and I may have old translation here, but we consume it upon our lusts. We use it on our own passions. We're praying for a boat. <laughs> We're praying for a new car. We're praying for those type of things. We're praying for stuff for ourselves so we can get, get, get. Uh, rather than praying, Lord, how can I minister to this family? How can I meet the need here? How can I help this person through this? And asking for those things to be met. And so in one sense, as we are abiding in him, why does even in previously when it... In this passage, constantly talking about the promise of answered prayer is because as we abide in Him and our prayer becomes His, our prayer simultaneously with His will comes to be. That's first answered prayer. Secondly, uh, we see in verse 17, it says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. And that's where it comes all the way back around. So everything that He said to this point. All that he said about loving one another, as he sacrificially as he has, he illustrates it through through life, like with uh, brothers giving up their life for one another. Um, he has made us his friends. He has um, he has chosen us and appointed us to bear fruit. Why? So that we might love one another. It comes full circle. We almost love one another so that we might love one another. And so this fruit bearing, all of it is to be abiding. We are to love the body for one, we saw in verse 8, for the glory of God. We are to love the body for for the proof of discipleship. We are to love the body to experience fullness of joy. So if you're sad this morning... If you do not experience joy, there's two options. One, you don't know Jesus, okay? You know about him, but you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Uh, and so you may socially or culturally have been a Christian. Um, you may have heard these things before. You may have um, known about them, but yet you've really never given your heart to him. You've never entrusted your Eternity to him, recognizing your sin before him, and that he, in wrath, will judge you for that sin, and then trusting in Jesus because Jesus says, "All those who call upon me, um, I will no wise cast out. I will not. Um, I will. I will. I will save those who come to me." And so, or the other option, is that someone um, through love of of, uh, of themselves. And love of their interests have not experienced the joy that comes from loving the body. Loving one another. That's uh, where true joy is found. In Jesus himself and in loving those who Jesus has has saved and has called you to love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're praising you today because you're good. I pray that um, your word would go forward in our hearts. I pray that you would convict us of sin. Uh, selfishness. Um, I pray that you would uh, also encourage our hearts greatly in the fact that you died for us and you have uh, you've saved us from sin. You have opened up our hearts to be able to um, to know you and you bring us great joy. And so I pray that today we would leave encouraged knowing that you're in control. That You chose us to bear fruit I pray that we wouldn't worry or, or, or um, be discouraged in any way because we know that, that, that you have done this work and that you're continuing to do this work. And I just pray that we would rely on you. I pray that today our, uh, that we would change. I pray that we would evaluate the selfishness of our own heart. I pray that we would, um, in turn, we would focus our minds on your glorious gospel and that we would love one another um, as you have loved us. We know that's an impossible task, but yet you and your grace have uh, given us your spirit to empower us for this task. So I pray today that we would love one another. We would go out, minister to one another, both um, in word, not, not only in—not in, um, in word or talk, but in deed and truth. That we would meet each other's needs, that we would love one another, that we would see it in both action and how we interact with one another on a daily basis. I pray these things in your name, amen.